Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a wait list for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. You're listening to the Think Unbroken podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Unbroken. I'm an author, speaker, coach, and advocate for adult survivors of childhood trauma and abuse. In this podcast, you will learn how to transform your trauma into triumph, turn breakdowns into breakthroughs, and go from victim to being the hero of your own story. You can learn more at thinkunbrokenpodcast.com. And of course, check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify at Think Unbroken Podcast. Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Hope that you're doing well wherever you are in the world today. I'm very excited to be back with another episode with my guest, Kelly Course. Kelly is the writer, director, and producer of Heal, a documentary feature about the mind-body connection and our body's innate ability to heal. She also authored the follow-up book, Heal, and is the host of the podcast, Heal. Kelly, my <laughs> friend, welcome to the show. I don't think I've ever said Heal that many times in one sentence. How are you? What is going on in your world today? 
Uh, thank you for having me, Michael. And uh, yeah, I'm just sitting here in awe of how you just pump these amazing episodes out and your intention is so pure um, to help people heal. So I'm happy to be here. And uh, ironically, I had a busy week. I have a two-year-old who's fighting a cold. So I'm doing my best to uh, self-care right now because I'm, I feel myself, I could be falling off the cliff here and uh, not practicing what I preach. So, um, but, but otherwise I'm, I'm doing great. Yeah. Well, I, I get that. And I, I think so much of life is very much like this weird ebb and flow of the balance of like, am I doing the things that I'm always telling other people to do? And uh, recently about two months ago, um, I cleared like a whole schedule. I was just like, everybody know I've got to take care of me. And, you know, I, I think that's actually a really wonderful place that we can start this conversation is talking about a little bit of your journey, your background and what has brought you to this moment. Yeah. Um, great, great question. I wish it was an easy, succinct answer. A lot of people have, you know, one event in their life that kind of slapped them over the head, a diagnosis or a loss um, that got them interested in healing and health. I think mine was um, more of a long lifetime journey and definitely a calling. Um, I haven't luckily had to deal with anything very serious myself and I haven't lost anybody to a serious disease, which is quite shocking um, because you would assume that I had. But I think, um, you know, it was just a little series of events that happened over life. One, one very quickly was in high school. I went on a camping trip with my friends and my mom was like, just, you know, don't get sick, take care of yourself, don't drink too much kind of thing. And uh, sure enough, I came home and was sick for a week and my glands were swollen. And so, you know, as in high school, people assume that you get mononucleosis. So I got tested for mono, I got tested for Epstein-Barr, you know, and I tested negative for everything. I just had these massive glands and coming out of my neck. So I got better, felt fine, but I still had these glands swollen. They threw every antibiotic at it. At the time, we didn't know what uh, detriment antibiotics will do to the gut. Uh, so we just took them and tried them and, and they didn't go, you know, the glands were still there. Um, Cut to six months later, they decided to do a lymph node biopsy. So I went under general anesthesia for the first time. They did an inch incision in the side of my neck. Again, inconclusive, benign. Um, and a few months later, I went to my mother's chiropractic appointment and he felt my glands and he said, try uh, taking a shot of apple cider vinegar twice a day for the next week. And I did. And sure enough, in a week, my glands were gone after a year of like, throwing everything at it. So I think that maybe planted a seed, even if I wasn't conscious at the time of like, I'm not really into like, there's something more than just this Western medicine, you know, cut, burn, poison kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah. And then I became kind of more of a spiritual, mental, emotional journey. Um, and ultimately I, uh, just wanted to put all the teachers that empowered me into a film to empower others because we've just kind of been hypnotized slowly and conditioned to believe throughout the last 150 years um, that, you know, the answer lies outside of ourselves. And, and once I learned about epigenetics and how really our bodies are designed to heal and we're healing in every moment, it's just we get in the way with stress and diet and other, all these other things that put a burden on the system. Um, that, you know, if we just learn how to get out of our own way and, and actually do things that support our natural healing process so much more as possible than we're, than we're told. 
Yeah. And, and I agree with that. And I, I look at my own journey and I think if you're a child of the eighties, like I am or, or earlier, antibiotics always seem to be the precursor to healing, right? It was always throw it at it, throw it at, like, take this. And I tallied this up one time that I estimate that I'd been on antibiotics 40 times four zero by the time that I was 30 years old. And, you know, so I grew up in a place where there was no health, there was no nutrition, there was a lot of poverty and homelessness in my life. And, and I said this in passing, it's something that I think is funny, but it, it actually holds a lot of weight. Um, I didn't have a salad for the first time until I was probably like 20 years old. It was all processed food, government food, storehouse food, things like that. I ended up getting SIBO. I ended up getting C. diff. I ended up getting E. coli. And, you know, that's, that all comes from, I think, A, the antibiotic usage, but also um, the massive amount of chronic stress growing up. And I was in, I was living in Bali, I was living in Ubud, Bali, when your documentary Hill came out and I was watching it, I was like, where was this? 15 years ago when I actually needed someone to be like, yo, maybe there's another way to step through sinus infections other than this. So what I'm curious about is, you know, I, I think we often have this opportunity as storytellers, which innately I think we are, you go back hundreds and thousands of years, we sat around campfires, we told stories, that was how we created narrative and connection as community. And, and I think we're often driven by this idea, like, oh, there's this thing I want to talk about, this story that I want to tell. But but we kind of get stuck and held back due to the fear of, of possible repercussions that come with this. And I, I recognize and I understand that on the backside of you creating what, what was a practical and really empowering film for me, there was a lot of people who are like, who does this person think they are? What are they talking about? This is nonsense, blah, blah, blah. How do you step into this place where you're willing to confront that and say, you know what, my message and my story is worth whatever comes along the backside of it? Yeah, great question. I anticipated a lot more kind of scrutiny and pushback than I received. So that was kind of odd. Um, I think that leading up to it, you know, actually this, the movie The Secret was one of my kind of initial seed planters. Of, of doing this film because, you know, it, it was a film that not particularly my, my documentary style, but um, I took these nuggets away that I, I applied instantly in my life. And within months, weeks, my life changed. And I was like, wow, it is all energy. And what we put out there, we do get back. And it just opened my eyes and, and I applied it and I was very empowered. And so you know, at the same, around the same time as I watched The Secret, I started meditating. I was going to Agape and I was listening to Michael Beckwith. Um, I'm, I'm sure you know him, he's teaching. And, and he was just empowering me, like we're co-creators with life. And if we get a calling in our heart, you know, within every uh, acorn is an oak tree. Within every dream is everything you need uh, to see that dream realized. So if you have a calling to be an actor, if you have a calling to be a poet, if you have a calling to be an astronaut, Every, that means that life, nature, the universe, God, whatever you believe puts that calling there, uh, you have the ability to, to see it realized. So I was I was acting at the time and I've been acting my whole life. I grew up in Southern California and um, off and on because it was, you know, it's, it's just a tough business. You're getting rejected all the time. And, and I actually initially started seeking out healers to like remove the blocks so I would be a better actor. And just be freer and less self-conscious. And so uh, like 
around the same time, I started listening to Michael's teachings, practicing my gratitude work and seeing, you know, crazy manifestations occur and just my life feeling better. And, um, and I really got these concepts that we are co-creators. And so, uh, and then I started meditating at the time. So that, that really rooted everything down. So all of that to say, um, once I was ready to do the film, I just had complete trust that this calling in my heart, uh, and the reason I brought up acting was because I started getting more excited talking about manifestation and, and healing and epigenetics. And we have so much more power than we've been led to believe. And, um, this world of infinite possibility, I, I started lighting up talking about that and less so talking about acting, something that I thought I wanted to pursue my entire life. And so I paid attention to that. And once I was ready to do the film, it took about eight years marinating this idea and gathering more research and more experts. Um, and once I was finally ready to do it, I was just like, you know, God, take the wheel. You put this calling in my heart. It is very strong. So I'm just going to trust that it's all going to unfold. And I'm just going to say yes and keep, you know, keep moving forward and, and let you take care of the, the hard stuff. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think that's so much of the the human experience, right? We all have dreams, we all have ambition, we have goals, but the reality, and and I think one of the biggest misconceptions that people have about creating your life is like you actually have to do some stuff. Like you're like as much as I love meditation and journaling, and it's a part of my daily practice. I know that those things are simply catalysts for me to figure out, like, okay, cool, now I have a better and more fine-tuned understanding of what it is that I'm going to have to do to make this dream idea, vision come to fruition. When, when you're in this and you're starting to build this out and you're learning and you're growing and you're like, okay, this is the story that I want to tell, I, I think that a big part of it is we, we subconsciously fight ourselves, right? And we're in this place where, all right, I have this idea, I have this dream, but who am I to tell it? How do I do that? Why me? Was that a part of your narrative in this as well? And if so, like, how did you combat that? Yes, for sure. I think we all have that like moments of imposter syndrome. I now have a very successful film and a book and a podcast and a platform. And I still question like, who am I to be this like wellness expert? You know, I still have human flaws. I still get sick. I still, you know, overdo it or, um, you know, it's, we're, we're evolving. It's a, it's an ongoing process. Healing, healing will stop, you know, we'll, we'll be healing up until the day we leave this physical body. Um, so absolutely. And again, I just, uh, I love what you said. It's like, we have these daily practices, but we, it, it's all to stay grounded and have that clear communication between our kind of higher self, our guidance, spirit, whatever you want to call it, uh, to then get clear on what action you need to take. So again, it was just like, it was such a strong calling in, in my heart. It was such a clear vision. People kept coming up to me and, and saying, how are you so happy? How are you so healthy? What do you eat? What do you do? What's your workout? And so I just, I literally was like, well, I can't, I'm just going to put all of the people that empowered me into a film. And, and it's, and it's still strange to me that it was about healing because again, uh, but I just, I just was like, there's so much more than just taking a pill to manage a symptom. It's like, we can do extraordinary things if we're just given first the awareness, then the tools, and then the examples of possibilities. So inspiring stories of other people who did extraordinary things. So I just, I just really trusted that, that passion pull in my heart. And I think it was a big you know, because Michael Beckwith is so inspiring. He's up on the stage and he's like firing me up. I'm like, yeah, I can do this. Um, so it was just that perfect storm of, of inspiration, support, and, um, 
and I've always been a bit of a risk taker. I've, I've played three varsity sports. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a competitive athlete, you know, like I want to, I, I want to push myself, um, to see my potential. So, you know, that was the last factor was just like, I'm just going to, just going to do it and I'm going to do it and see where it goes. You know, I'll, I'll jump, I'll take the leap. Yeah. And, and so much of it is taking the leap. And on the backside of that leap, like, this is what I think about all of the time. Like if you face your fear on the backside of being willing to face that, like greatness awaits you or at least a really cool ass story. Right. And so like, yeah. I think about that all the time. And, and one of the things in, in my healing journey, not only from the traumatic experience of my life, but the physical healing that my body went through was really recognizing that uh, there is a part of your body, which when you understand biology, the number one thing is our brain is designed for is survival. So what does that mean? You have to be able to heal. You have to be able to continue to be resilient. Um, what I'm curious about those, if you'd be willing to dive in and talk a little bit more um, about the human body and the way that it is designed to in every moment, right, be able to look at disease and symptoms as feedback in ways that we can kind of step into the healing process. And yet somehow in that we still seem to intend to get into our own way. Absolutely. So just a few like pillars that I think might change someone's perception if this is the first time they're hearing of it is the science of epigenetics. So we've been told for, you know, beginning of time, our whole lives that we are victims of our genes or we're subject to our genetic uh, code. And to an extent, this is true, but what we learn with the science of epigenetics and Bruce Lipton is one of the pioneers in this field um, as a stem cell biologist, he discovered that it's actually the environment that turns genes on and off. So genes are like little switches. Our genetic code is a blueprint, uh, but then it's our lifestyle, choices, our lifestyle behaviors, um, the diet creates an environment within the body, um, literally our physical environment around us. If there's toxins, if there's nature, fresh air, polluted air, all of that will create an environment outside of us. Um, and then for our perception of the environment. So we have this brain that from the age of zero to seven years old, this brain is just like a computer that's downloading software programs from the people around you. So usually your parents or your grandparents, the people that are raising you, um, your teachers, and you're just, you're like a sponge picking up the behaviors and learning how to survive in the world by paying attention to the people around you. So um, when we talk about, you know, oh, it's genetic. Well, a lot of these genetic expressions are because you have the same pattern of diet, environment, behaviors, beliefs about life. Um, so those those subconscious programs become your belief system and they're kind of downloaded into you between the ages of zero and seven. They're not even your beliefs. You're just adopting them from other people. So, and then they color the lens through which you look at at life. And um, the best example of this is if you were raised a snake charmer in let's say India, uh, and you were, were taught to be around snakes and how, you know, cobras or whatever, I'm just making this up. I know nothing about snake charming. Um, if they are signs of, you know, a good omen and, and power, and it's actually a blessing if you get bit or whatever the story is, um, you're going to have a very different experience in your body than someone who is afraid of snakes. You're walking down the path. One person sees a snake and has a flood of 
um, oxytocin and joy because it's the good omen they've been asking for and they're not afraid of the snake. And this, the other person is going to have stress chemicals and adrenaline cursing through their body. So based on their belief system, they have two completely different biochemical reactions in their body. And so our subconscious beliefs are absolutely always need to be addressed when you are doing any kind of healing because they're just this, they're subconscious. We're not even aware that this lens is coloring our life and attracting people, circumstances, et cetera, to give us feedback uh, as to you know what we're believing about life. And then the final component of that, you talked about symptoms and physical disease. Um, you know, our symptoms are your body telling us that there's an imbalance. So whether it's a skin rash, whether it's a pain in your neck, whether it's uh, you know, appendicitis, whatever your symptom is, um, that's giving you feedback that there's something off. And Western medicine tends to give you immediate relief by silencing that symptom, by um, you know, steroids to get rid of the rash. You're basically taking away the feedback. It would be the same as if your house starts to get on fire, the smoke alarm's going off because the smoke is billowing up and that smoke alarm is really annoying. It's really painful. It's itchy, uh, you know, but instead of putting out the fire, you just take out the batteries of the smoke alarm so you don't have to hear that feedback. Um, and so as we understand that, we know that, you know, we may have to take, we may have to take the batteries out just so we can have sanity while we're putting out the fire. But if we never put out the fire, we're just going to have to keep we're never going to really heal. We're just managing disease through symptom management. Yeah. And I think one of the parts that's difficult about that is, and I've come to understand this in my own personal journey, like pain has been such a part of my human experience. Growing up in a, a hypervigilant cortisol state where I'm constantly in fight and flight for, for effectively really what I'd call the first 27 years of my life. And, and looking at the detrimental health ramifications of that and looking at and measuring my life now heading into my late 30s and going, okay, how do I manage pain? How do I manage healing? How do I grow into this place where I, I have an understanding and maybe I'm, I'm, I'm wrong in it, but I think pain is a part of the human experience. And I felt like the more I tried to numb it, right, drugs, alcohol, sex, those kind of things, and then add on pharmaceuticals because my doctor said, well, that's the thing that you're supposed to take, the more I felt removed from my body. And then I started getting these other practices like, well, what if, what is this yoga thing people keep talking about? And like 11 years ago, I started doing yoga. Nobody was doing yoga, not in Indiana. I promise you it wasn't <laughs> happening. And so I'm in this thing where I'm like trying to learn this and trying to get deeper into myself. And, and, and there's a still this programming. And this is kind of what I want to talk about and dive into you with you a little bit deeper. So let's say, look, look at someone's life and they've gone through traumatic childhood like me, and they have grown up in a cortisol state and they have tremendous anxiety and depression and stressors. They always have a creak in their neck. Their psoas always hurts. Their vagus nerve is all over their place. Their amygdala, amygdala is misfiring, blah, blah, but you know it all, right? You've heard it all. What do you do? Like, what do you do? Because like, to me, the, the, the simplified answer is everyone goes, well, go to the doctor, take a med, go talk to therapy. You'll be fine. My experience is that's literally not what works. So I'm curious about your thoughts. Yeah, exactly. So there's, especially when you're dealing with trauma, like so many people are, um, you know, we talk about this in the film and Darren Wiseman says it much more articulately than I could. It's articulately a word. Um, and he, he talks about, you know, these like a disease or, or symptoms as, as gifts in very strange wrapping paper. And, and often when a trauma occurs, 
we don't have the tools because it's just too painful. Our body literally thinks we're going to die. So we just have this survival mechanism. Our brain like does the shutdown, like we repress or suppress our our feelings and, and we go into a state of shock and, and we just survive because it's just too much for pain for us to process, emotional pain or physical pain um, or both often. So so if we don't ever address, and that just becomes, everything is energy, right? Where if you go down to the molecular level and atomic level, we're just different you know, waves and particles vibrating at different speeds. So um, we talked about that in the film too. It's so that is an energy that the, the suppressed or repressed feelings, emotional pain, trauma gets stuck in our system, whether it's in our aura, whether it's in our shoulder, whether it's in our, you know, liver, wh wherever that, that is, it just gets stuck. And until we can go back and, and figure out the ways to, and there's so many different modalities, as I'm sure you've explored on this show, um, to really like, let, let it go, like figure out a way to go into where that energy is stuck. And this is what, again, we call it alternative medicine, Eastern medicine, but that Eastern medicine has been around for thousands upon thousands of years. Uh, whereas Western medicine has been around for like 300 um, or, the, or the philosophies behind it. And so it's, it, it's all about energy meridians. It's all about getting our, freeing up our life force, our chi chakras, whichever culture that you are, um, and, and kind of type of traditional medicine you're, you're seeking, there's different ways to unstuck that energy that we have trapped in our system that if not addressed over time will lead to, you know, something in our gut or psychological, mental illness, you know? So, um, for, for things like that, I mean, it's, 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 yes, we are the healers, uh, and, and we have the ability to heal, but sometimes, you know, we all, we're all humans. We have blind spots. We need to seek out some, some therapies and modalities that can help us tap into where those things are stuck and, and process them because now we have tools. Now we're an adult. We're not a scared child, whatever it may be. And we can, we have the ability now and the capacity to process what happened so that then we can release it, free up that energy and get the system moving as it was designed to move. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I had this really profound experience once where I had walked into a EMDR session and I came out of it and I felt just this unbelievable sense of relief and, and tension that had left my body. Whereas I'd had this tension in my life forever, right? It's just natively turned on. And what happened in that moment is I recognized something that I would later come to better understand when I read uh, John Sarno's book, Healing Back Pain, was when you get to this place where you can start to expose what you're holding inside, it has no choice but to release. And I, I think it's going to be a different pace and a different speed for everyone who goes through it. And I, I will say this, Facing the difficulties of the truth of the reality of your experience is the only way that you're set free from them. And I know that's hard. And that was my experience for a long time. I was like, I just keep this in. I'm strong. I'm strong. I'm strong. But then it's like eating you alive. And eventually you have to come to this place where you recognize like you have to sit down that burden. It's not yours to carry alone. And if you try to, okay, for context, I was at a point in my life, I was having five panic attacks a day, five. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is weird. Hmm. Okay, cool. I just tried all the different things. I started meditating and it started to, to dissipate. 
started journaling, dissipated more, started getting serious about therapy. Wow, they're few and far in between. And now I think today I've had like two panic attacks in the last five years, right? Because there is a release that comes through that. But here's what I think is interesting. A lot of people will look at Eastern medicine, which I'm a proponent for. I think there's a mix and balance for both, of course. And they'll go, well, that's just placebo effect. And I know that you have some thoughts around placebo and the nocebo effect. And I would love for you to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So the placebo, we're kind of all aware of, you know, uh, they actually incorporate it into the testing drugs because it is a factor in every everything we do. There's an element of placebo. Um, and so like when they're testing a drug, they have one group that's taking the actual chemical. Let's just take the antidepressant world um, as an example, because the placebo is very clear here in these studies. And, um, and then they test it against a sugar pill or an innate substance. So if you put this sugar pill in your body, it's not going to have any biochemical uh, reaction in your body that's, you know, has any sort of consequential reaction. Uh, then they're, they're they're comparing the uh, response from that group, the placebo group, against the response of the people taking the actual drug. And neither the scientists nor the participants know which one they're taking. So they're all kind of going in expecting to feel better on this antidepressant. So what they found is in 40 to 50 to up to 75% of the placebo, placebo group had similar um, beneficiary beneficial response to the sugar pill. So an inert, an inert substance, yet they report feeling better in their body, in their mind, in their spirit, um, which is what they were expecting if they took the antidepressant. What's interesting is everybody says, oh, well, that's all in their mind. They didn't actually feel better. They're just like, oh, I'm, I, I'm, they're pretending. But what people don't realize is the placebo effect is a real effect. Our brain is our most powerful pharmacy. And so when there is ritual, which is taking a pill, like we've all taken a pill and we expect a response from that pill. So, and I, I, I barely take anything unless it's an infection or something acute that I need to address. Um, but if I have a headache and it persists, usually when I have a headache, it's something that I've done uh, that causes it. So I know exactly where it's from. Um, I'll take an Advil. I've taken Advil so many times that over my life that that I'm going to expect that it'll relieve my pain within 20 to 30 minutes. So there's the ritual of taking the pill and then the conditioning of having that relief after taking that pill. So when you combine the ritual and the conditioning and the meaning between, okay, so that this is an antidepressant and I know that taking a pill will, will give me some sort of relief or, or what, what that's going to do in 30 minutes. Uh, and so your body expects that. Um, so whether it's the sugar pill or the antidepressant, your brain then releases the actual chemistry that the pill you're taking or, you know, one group is taking, uh, is delivering to you. So basically if it's an SSRI, it's like whatever that pill does, your brain is actually doing it in the bodies of it's releasing that exact neurochemical reaction and neurochemistry uh, in the placebo group. So it's not just in your mind. Your brain is physically releasing something. It's the same as um, when you're working out. You've heard of endorphins. Your body, endorphins are your body, your brain's natural morphine-like substances. So you feel fantastic with these endorphins. So our brain is a very powerful chemistry uh, pharmacy, and you know it has so much power. So just imagine what that 
says. I mean, we could take an inert substance that has no, zero negative side effects, and with the proper conditioning and ritual and meaning, we can release the exact chemistry we need to feel better or heal in, in whatever way. So there's so much to be done to support the placebo. Unfortunately, science today just kind of discards it and, and looks at it as a metric to see how you know um, effective their drug is. But that's very exciting. And then on the flip side of that, you mentioned the nocebo. That's kind of the negative belief. And we see this. It's so detrimental. You know, we've been conditioned. Again, conditioning is a part of this. Uh, we've conditioned to believe that doctors, you know, go through medical school. They're smarter than us. They're educated. They know. They're specialists. They know much more than we do about this certain condition or whatever. So if a, if a, if a doctor, if an authority in a white coat, we give them meaning that they know more than we do, if they tell us... You have three to six months to live. You've got stage whatever cancer, um, and we buy into that. We believe that's a that's a that can create a negative belief system and a bell curve. Seventy percent of the time, eighty percent of the time, you're going to fall into that, and they just continue the statistic because you believe it, and then your body starts to degenerate, and and they see it time and time again where you've given a wrong diagnosis, and they end up following that three to six months. Uh, prognosis path, they die, and then they go back and look at the charts and they're like, oh my God, they didn't even have what we thought they had. So belief is so powerful and we have to be very careful about what we buy into. And, and so in, in HEAL, kind of our motto is seek out the best medical, you know, uh, information, go to the best specialists, get, get as much information you can, get the diagnosis, find out what's going on, but never let anybody tell you what's possible for you. Don't accept a prognosis, especially one that is not favorable to what you believe or feel in your body is right for you. Yeah. And that's, you know, there's so much about ownership in that, right. And taking control of your life. And I, I think that one of the hardest parts for many people is we're used to not taking ownership over our life. We're used to just people going, this is the way that you do it you know, don't color the moon purple in third grade, walk on the right side of the hall, go to the bathroom after you raise your hand. This is the way that you do it. Go to high school, go to college, job, career, picket fence, blah, 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 whatever. And then you're in this position where you have to do this thing called taking care of yourself. And you don't really know how to do it because of conditioning, right? To your point. And you're faced with this really interesting dichotomy or juxtaposition, I should say, of wanting to take care of yourself, but not feeling empowered to do it because we do herald people who have doctorates or whatever as so much far and above us. And that was my experience too, until I walked into a doctor's office one day, I'm battling this tremendous thing in SIBO, right? The small intestinal, small intestinal, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, try that again. And, and it's just destroying my life. It's destroying my livelihood. It's crippled me. And I walk into this gastroenterologist office and, and the guy was morbidly obese sitting there eating candy. And I was like, oh, wait a second. There's something extremely wrong here. And, and I left and I did the thing they always tell you not to do. I got on WebMD and I just started trying to like puzzle piece this thing together. Well, fast forward, like literally 45 doctors and a lot of money later, I finally recognized like, okay, if I'm going to have the solution for this, I need to find the doctor who's willing to listen to me and let me be the one who's in control of my life. Right. I turned down every, like I had a doctor who wanted to remove my colon and I was like, whoa, 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 dude, like we're not there yet. Like I'm not there. And, and that's, that's, what's really difficult about this entire journey is because 
we want to trust in medicine. We want to trust that people have our best interests in mind for us. But ultimately, sometimes it really comes down to you have to trust yourself first. And in that, that's how you're going to create change in your life. And luckily enough, I found a doctor and she was like, oh, you definitely have SIBO. Let's do a breath test. My methane levels were off the chart. Couldn't even record them. They were so high. And um, and I ended up doing a fecal matter transplant, Eastern medicine coming into play here. Um, I won't go into details for you if you want to find <laughs> out. Do that on your own research. And and it, it literally saved my life, right? I, I was on the other side of E. coli, on the other side of C. diff. And, and it really came about this thing about ownership. So looking at that and understanding like taking control of your life while in the context of Western medicine and living in a Western state and trying to put yourself in a position to take care of yourself and balancing this idea that doctors know best, like from a practical standpoint, do you think there's a way for people to do that, that is beneficial and not actually endangering to themselves? Yeah, I think, um, I love one of my favorite parts of the film is the, research done by Kelly Turner, um, who was getting her doctorate degree and she was actually studying cancer. She was, she wanted to be a scientist, a researcher, and she was looking at all these spontaneous healing, uh, cases. And so basically she would, these people were sent home to die. They were like, okay, you're stage four. We've done all, we've tried the five chemos. We've done the radiation. We've done the surgery. It's still spreading. There's nothing we can do. You know, good luck. Go get your affairs in order. Um, and she kept finding more and more people who were sent home to essentially die and they were all living years later. So she was like, isn't it, we should be studying these people, what these people did, you know? And again, she, she likes to be very careful. Like her research is specific to cancer. She studied 1500 cases of people that were sent home to die and they, they spontaneously healed. They radically remissed. And what did they do? And she found that they did these 10 essential things. It was at the time I made heal, it was nine. She has since added movement slash exercise, um, which when she went back to her research, they all did a version of movement, even just walking. And so um, these 10 essential things, one of the things that they all did was follow their intuition. And this is so key. I mean, our, literally our answers are within us. And these why I like journaling, seeing a therapist, meditating, all of these things are to, to quiet the noise and to distill down to what our truth is and what our heart is pulling us to do. And we are such intelligent, sensitive creatures. I mean, this is why if someone walks into the room and we get chills, you know, that could be a good thing. It could be like, wow, that's my soulmate, or it could be a very bad thing. So there, you know, every, again, everything is energy and we can have coherent vibes with someone or incoherent vibes with someone. And if we are, are, practice presence and awareness enough and practice these things that strengthen our intuition, like meditation, yoga, um, spending time in nature, disconnecting from technology, et cetera. All of these things um, really enhance this inner voice. You know, we all, we all have this connection to the divine or our higher self or our soul, spirit, whatever terminology uh, you do. And if you don't believe in any of it, I mean, synchronicities have happened in your life where you think of someone and they call. I mean, we are very connected uh, to each other. And, and so there is um, this, the, we, we have this internal guidance system. And, and so the, the, the following your intuition is, is essential to healing um, and not, so, so I would just recommend, you know, as you did, you went through 45 doctors, you know, just really listen, like if walking in and seeing someone eating candy and who's not the picture of health, 
that's a little bit of your intuition going, I'm not just going to blanketly trust him because he's got seven degrees on the wall and he's, you know, admired in his field. I, this does not resonate with me. That's a little bit of intuition. Um, so we all have it and it will never lead you astray. That's how beautiful nature is. We have this built in, um, really this internal guidance system. And we just have to have these practices to connect with nature, disconnect with tech from tech and really turn within or just quiet the mind or do yoga, just keep, get all the energy flowing so that that communication is really clear. Intuition is never going to lead you astray. And it's just, it's going to, it's an art um, and, a, and a science. And, and it just takes practice to learn how to listen and decipher what's intuition or what's your kind of critical mind or what someone else's, you know, belief that they've thrown on your head, but in, your intuition will never lead you astray. And, and the, the key is just finding, um, how, how, how to tune into that voice so that you have that guidance available to you. Matt, that was so profound for me in my journey. One of the things I always recommend to my clients when I'm coaching them, I talk about that in the podcast ad nauseum for a reason, because it's truth. I mean, it is like the best GPS system you could ever have and you're spot on, you know, it is for, is this going to make your life better? Is it not like make up your mind, but listen, like trust yourself. What I'm really curious about is, were there any misconceptions that you had personally prior to making this documentary and going through this journal journey with yourself about medicine, about healing, about health that ultimately became debunked in your experience? You know, before I did the film... I was pretty well versed in all of these experts teaching because they had such a profound effect on my life and I read all their books. And, and so there wasn't much room for surprise in interviewing the experts. I also followed two people on real healing journeys. That was like, I want to do a documentary where I'm not just interviewing people that have healed as a talking head. I want to really go, I really want to understand the nuances of like healing journey. There's no one size fits all, you know, recipe for healing. I wish there was. Um, but there's so many factors. And so I think the, the biggest surprises were, or just kind of, you know, things that made me pause were, were just all of the intricacies of like, you know, what, what blind spots we have, you know? Um, Cause I, we follow one, one woman who has these really intense skin disease and these, this mystery illness. She's been to every specialist under the sun still to this day. She really doesn't have answers. And I followed her on the journey and it's like clear to the audience, like some of these, she's got some serious trauma that is trapped in her body, you know, and it's her, her condition is like expressing through the skin and skin is often tied to the liver. Liver is, liver is often tied to anger and you don't want to make assumptions, but like, it was really clear to me that like she had some unprocessed trauma and she was so brave and allowed, you know, was vulnerable enough to allow me to film her working with practitioner. And she was doing EFT and Reiki and, and had some really beautiful emotional releases. And it's, you know, mostly everybody's favorite part in the film because we, we get a cathartic release as an audience with her really um, genuine release of this trauma that she shares with us of her mother and her father leaving her and, and just what she's had to do. And so you know, I, I think that it may be like so clear to us and I have judgments about what she needs to do to heal. Um, but she's still on her healing journey. And I was put in check many times, like, this is not, this is not my journey to be on. And, and I might think I know like 
what may help her or what she's got going on, but everybody's got to go through their own journey. So I think it was less of like a surprise. It was more just like a humbling, like, you know, it's not black. Healing is not black and white. It's so um, complex and complicated. Uh, you know, there's so many elements to it. And, and, and I just continue to see, you know, that we're all human and we have our blind spots. I mean, even the experts in the film, once you like meet these people, they're still human and they may be like on the platform pedestal preaching these profound things that are changing people's lives, but in their daily lives, they have their own blind spots and are seeking out healing and help and support from an outside uh, mirror to reflect back to them. So I think, I guess that would be the thing. It's just like, we all have our blind spots and to be very compassionate um, for someone else's journey because you know, we're all kind of fighting this invisible battle that, you know, other people aren't quite aware of to the, the, the gravity of the battle that we're all facing uh, in our own lives. Yeah. And I, I definitely subscribe to that. And I think about this constantly, like being in these positions, like I also have people I look towards. I understand. And I know that I don't know everything. And that's been such a beautiful part of, of maybe understanding myself in a deeper way is looking at my life and going, I know a lot, but actually I don't know anything because there's 8 billion people on planet earth and there's always more to learn, always more to decipher, always more to cultivate. And that's been really beautiful. I mean, same reason I have coaches, I have mentors. I read 70 books a year because I'm always in this position where I'm like, how do you extrapolate what took somebody else 15 years to understand? But then also at the same time, a have the humility to recognize, like, I don't understand this. And then B and probably more importantly, have, have gratitude for it. And I think about the role that gratitude has played in my life. And I know that people like shout this from the rooftop, but I'm interested in your thoughts on gratitude in, in relation to co-creating with other people and what it means like to allow that to be a part of your daily practical tools. Yeah, I love gratitude. I think, I mean, we talk often about love is like the greatest healing um, kind of you know, the greatest healer is love, you know, and I, and I personally believe that, you know, we come from Anita Morjani was in my film and she had a near death experience and kind of died, went to the other side and joined basically this source, you know, like love, like the love that surpasses human understanding. That's how she described it in the essence of her father and this beautiful story. And, and when she came back into her body, her body healed from stage four cancer, which there is not a human of those 8 billion people on the planet, on the planet, you would look at her, um, organs were shutting down lemon sized tumors coming out of her body. Um, just, she was so far gone. There's no way that you could physically recover from the state that she was in. And within three weeks, no cancer left in her body. And she was a healthy woman again, because of the shift in consciousness that she had in connecting with source and forgiveness with the essence of her father. And, and so again, love is the greatest healer. A lot of philosophers believe it. Certainly all the experts in the film do. Uh, but then we get to gratitude. And I think gratitude is like the greatest creative force, you know, and, and Joe Dispenza, who I, who is in the film and I follow a lot and I do his meditations a lot. Um, he, he talks about combining um, visualization with an elevated emotion, which is gratitude. So uh, he healed his own spine um, 
by, he was just paralyzed in a bed and the doctors told him he's going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life, which was devastating to him. He was a triathlete and all he had was the power of his mind. So he, every day visualized his back healing and, and, and then he'd, he'd get distracted and his mind would go to him in a wheelchair and then he'd bring it back and he would just practice visualizing the healing. And then he realized, then he got through the body, like the whole spine healing and he would picture himself, you know, running on a beach. Uh, or taking a hot shower, all these things that he had taken for granted before that he really, um, you know, missed. And and he's like, God, like, if I can get back to this, if I can heal, I will never take for granted anything again. And so he would feel the feelings of being in love, walking on the beach, making love, having a hot shower, running a triathlon, all these things he took for granted. And he would just feel the gratitude. And what he found, he eventually healed within 10 weeks, he was up walking and within 12 weeks he was training again for the next triathlon again miracle story but his formula that he found was visualizing using the power of the mind seeing what you want whether it's healing whether it's a relationship whether it's abundance um, whether it's a goal that you have a promotion a child whatever it is so every day getting into a meditative state and just even if it's just five minutes a day picturing what you want and then feeling the gratitude as if it's already in your life and that generates such a, that puts out such a strong signal into the world. And I've, I've done it in my life with gratitude journaling. Um, and it feels silly at first because you're giving, you're like thinking like, oh, I have a baby, you know, like doing all the, all the things. But gratitude, if you can, if you can just do that exercise every day and you flood your body with oxytocin and these elevated emotions, which releases really healing, energizing chemistry in your body. Um, you know, the universe doesn't, or the brain doesn't recognize if something is happening in reality or something is just happening in our imagination. That's why we can think of the past trauma that's happening and it feels as stressful and scary as, it, as the moment it's happening. So the brain doesn't know and it's still releasing that stressful chemistry. It thinks we're going through the trauma right now. So let's, let's take the reins of our brain and, and apply that uh, function to creating the life that we want rather than being stuck in the past, uh, and in trauma, let's every day focus on what we do want and feeling into that. And if we feel gratitude, we trick the brain into thinking that it's already happened. So not only are we releasing that positive chemistry in our body, we're sending a signal out to the universe. And then of course, frequency brings us more things to be grateful for in our life. And I will say this, I like, so if I rewind my life, eh, let's call it 15 years ago. If you said that to me, I'd be like, you are so foolish. Like, what is wrong with you? I cannot believe that those words came out of your mouth. Let me tell you this, though. I, I have found the truth of the reality that not only having that practice in journaling, right? I, I journal into the future, things that have already happened. I visualize, I meditate. I've done stuff. Now, look, there is a timeline to this. I've done things in my life that took me seven years, five years, four years to accomplish, right? But here's what I think about all the time. If we can be on this ball of whatever gas allows us just to happen to be able to exist spinning in the middle of the universe and God knows what, why can you not have your dreams come true? And so with that, um, before I ask you my last question, can you tell everyone where they can find you? Yes. Thank you. Um, so I just, started the heal podcast this year. So the heal podcast is kind of what I'm focused on now and it's on Spotify and iTunes and I guess anywhere 
podcasts are found, which I think it's just those places. Um, and then uh, on Instagram, you can follow us at, at Heal Documentary. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook uh, there. And then personally, I'm at Kelly Gores, G-O-R-E-S on Instagram. I'm probably the most active there. Um, so yeah. Amazing. And we'll put all the links in the show notes. Of course, Kelly, my friend, my last question for you is what does it mean to you to be unbroken? Beautiful question, beautiful show title, um, beautiful mission. Unbroken to me, when when everybody asks me what is healing, and healing I think is coming back to wholeness. And as we go through life, we get disconnected from each other, from our purpose, from ourselves in the instance of trauma. So healing is wholeness. And when you get a level of healing, whether it's spiritual, emotional, physical, or all of the above, uh, you're coming back to wholeness, and that is being unbroken. Beautiful, my friend. Thank you so much for being here, Unbroken Nation. Thank you so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, comment, review, tell a friend. And until next time, my friends, be unbroken. I'll see ya. Thank you so much for listening to Think Unbroken. Please share this episode with someone who could use it and help us move forward in our mission of ending generational trauma in our lifetime. And if you would, please take five seconds to pop on iTunes or Spotify, hit that five star, leave a review, and you can also reach out to us on social at Michael Unbroken or at Think Unbroken. And of course, you can check out our YouTube channel at Think Unbroken. Thank you for being a part of Unbroken Nation, my friends, and until next time, be unbroken. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a wait list for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.